You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Live. It is Sunday night, September 18th, the Overlord 2022 Late Kick brought to you, presented to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Thank you so much for being tuned in. You know, times and jobs, they are changing in our sport of college football. We're jam-packed high atop a sun-drenched downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We've got full week three reaction for you tonight. We were at Penn State Auburn yesterday. We saw that bloodbath. But there were bloodbaths elsewhere, there were upsets elsewhere, and there are some coaching changes happening. I'm not going to get into this a lot in this show because it's just now happening in the past couple of hours. Herm Edwards is out at Arizona State. I know a lot of you have been tuned into NFL today and you're not aware of that. Herm Edwards is no longer employed uh, by Arizona State University. We're going to have full week three reaction, okay? Coaches are in trouble. I'm going to talk about some of them. I'm going to responsibly lay out of talking about some others. And it's only because I'm gathering some information that's probably going to have us ahead of the curve if and when the lever is pulled on said coaches. Use your critical thinking skills to read between the lines there. Every given Saturday tour, week four announcement coming up mere minutes from now. Not quite at the top of the show, but we had a wonderful time at Auburn. We're going to have a wonderful time this Saturday. Stay tuned. I'll tell you where we're going to be. LaGrange, Georgia tuned in. Sullivan, Missouri watching us. State College, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I bet you guys are tuned in. So-so, Mississippi. Done many a storm-chasing trip to So-so. Thank you so much for watching. As I said, we were in Auburn multiple days this week. I'll tell you all about that later. The sunburn pretty much tells you how the week went. It was a really good week down there. But the Every Given Saturday tour is going to roll into another of our favorite locations this week. And I'm going to get to it down the road. But make sure, if you're not already following... Make sure you're following over on Instagram and Twitter, at LateKickJosh, because there's so much, as I always promise you, and as we always have delivered, there's so much that you get just by looking at that Instagram story you don't get anywhere else. I guarantee you, we gave you a look yesterday. You didn't get if you were at the game. You didn't get if you were watching it on TV. So make sure you're following, at LateKickJosh, unless you're not into behind-the-scenes access, in which case you probably wouldn't care. Paper pop time. Boy, a lot of things got popped yesterday in Auburn. Whew. Penn State, 41. Auburn, 12. There's a lot of talk, including on this very program last week, about things like voodoo. I remember. You guys reminded me, had I forgotten, but I remember. So I ask you, and this is a riddle that's already been solved. We got the answer yesterday. How do you neutralize an intimidating environment? Well, the first thing you do is you empty it out by the end of the third quarter and then you burn it to the ground in the fourth quarter. It's pretty much what Penn State did at Jordan-Hare Stadium yesterday. It was so quiet in the venue that I actually, when App State pulled the upset over Troy, well, not an upset, when they pulled the come-from-behind win over Troy, I was able to pull out the eye, Josh, and watch the replay and listen to the radio broadcast with no issues. That's how quiet it was. That's not the way that Auburn's home environment is supposed to be in the fourth quarter of a game with a point spread of three on it, but that's the way it was. Padlock stat, number one, plus four turnovers. That's going to do you pretty good if you're Penn State. Padlock stat, number two, 6.3 yards per carry. Nick Singleton goes off again, as he will many more times in his career. I would encourage you, if you were there, 
Whether you were there as a credentialed member of the esteemed media, whether you were a fan, save those credentials, save those ticket stubs. Because based on what we saw yesterday, you may end up being deposed as a witness. It was about as violent as you could ever imagine. And it was beyond worst case scenario for Auburn. But we talk about the winners first. So let's talk about Penn State. Because if you get college football, you get why this is a big deal. Simpletons, the casuals amongst us, would look and say, okay, Penn State won a game. That's a bad Auburn team they beat. And they're not wrong in that assessment. But then they would make the mistake of dismissing the win. No, don't do that. Don't do that at all. Like I said, if you've watched the sport, if you've watched Penn State for a while, you understand this was different. I don't have to tell you that if you've watched them for a while, but if you haven't, you know one of the hallmarks of potentially great teams down the road is they go beat bad teams soundly. Sounds so easy, yet so few teams are able to routinely do it. Penn State hasn't been able to do it. That's why this margin of victory was so surprising to a lot of people, a lot of Penn State fans included. Be real, I talked to a lot of you. It's not that they won. They beat Purdue in week one. They beat Wisconsin on the road in week one last year. It's not that they won. It's when you think about that Purdue game, you think about that Wisconsin game in week one last year, or any of a number of narrow Penn State road wins. There's a reason Franklin was only 19 and 18 on the road in his time at Penn State coming into this game. Those things are hard to pull off with any margin of victory. One point wins, hard to pull off. Those games historically under Franklin on the road at Penn State have been nail biters. And all of a sudden, they just smoke a team. Do you know what happened? Does anyone know what happened? Sure, turnover margin played a part in this. This was not Auburn coughing the ball up. This was Penn State forcing the issue. To be very clear, uh, these weren't unforced errors, as you would call them in other sports. Penn State had everything to do with forcing that turnover margin. So I'm not going to take anything away from them. But the second thing is something finally clicked for that team that didn't click at all last year. And it clicked sparingly in 2020, and it was running the ball the way Penn State should be able to run it. Nick Singleton walking in the door and that freshman class walking in the door is no small coincidence as to why they're running the ball like they are. But Singleton's different, sort of an alien. They talk about Saquon Barkley in rarefied language around that program, as they should, because there aren't many of him walking the planet. And I'm not going to do the disservice of comparing one to the other, but Nick Singleton's the next best thing that's ever walked through that door since Saquon Barkley. I'll put it like that. I was standing next. I was, yeah. So I took producer Jesse to the game. And reluctantly, I took him out in public. He didn't embarrass me. I'm proud of him. But boy, he was giddy. He was really giddy watching Nick Singleton run down the sideline. He was really giddy watching Nick Singleton do what, to his credit, he told me he was going to do all week. You know, producer Jesse wanted a little prop bet on this game that would have ended with him appearing on air if Penn State won the game. I wisely did not walk into that bear trap, and so he is still in another room tonight. But Penn State is a big winner here. Do you notice how seamlessly the rest of this team functioned once they could run the ball? Did you notice how much better Sean Clifford seemed? And boy, I'm about to talk about Mr. Cliff in a second. Do you notice how much more effective everything seemed? Do you notice how... You didn't have to constantly be in third and long and watch Sean Clifford and his Stone Cold Steve Austin knee brace laboring about the pocket, trying to buy himself another fraction of a second. Hopefully Parker Washington gets open or Tinsley gets open. It was none of that, especially when they got in the red zone. They just said, here you go. Run it straight up the gut. Make Auburn fold like an accordion. 
there was a talent disparity on the field yesterday. I don't talk about this stuff a whole lot because it's really, it's overblown. It's not overrated, but it's overblown because a lot of people who talk about talent are not scouts, nor am I. But man, it could not be ignored on field level. I'm used to watching the SEC play out of conference games where they have the upper hand on not only talent and size, but depth. And if you would have taken jerseys off of those teams yesterday and just put generic mesh jerseys on them, you would have thought Penn State was the SEC squad because they look bigger, faster, and stronger. Now, if you were to look at past recruiting rankings, they would indicate to you Penn State should not have a sizable edge over Auburn in that department. But the problem is not in recruiting so much as it's in development. I'm just telling you what it looks like from field level. Guys have gotten to Auburn, and whatever they were coming out of high school is largely what they are on that field. Guys have come to Penn State, and whatever they were in high school was a starting point for what they are becoming or have become at Penn State. Is that a credit to James Franklin? Absolutely it is. Uh, James Franklin's a guy who has continued to not reinvent his program, but he's continued to make tweaks here, and he's, he's nudged over there. Because there's never been a reason to burn it down and start from scratch at Penn State. It's this all-or-nothing feast or famine mentality a lot of times in college football that drives me crazy because there's never been a reason for that. There, haven't, there haven't, hasn't been a need for wholesale change there. There has been a need for tweaks. He's made it. You, you saw not the finished product, but you saw a positive sign yesterday and a sign that validates a lot of what they've been doing up there, but it's also a massive indictment against Auburn. And again, I'm going to get to them in just a second. But they, Penn State, Penn State went into Jordan-Hare Stadium. They withstood the early wave. Sean Clifford got rocked in the first quarter. I guarantee you a lot of people watching live said, that's the way this game's going to go this afternoon. That's why Auburn's going to end up winning this thing. And they took it. They never, they never flinched. When did you see Penn State shaking? Clifford should have, it would have been understandable if Drew Aller was in the game at that point frankly, but he wasn't. And I think Clifford did a quarterback sneak on the next play. So there aren't many quarterbacks in the country that take that hit, leave their feet, take the flat back bump, as those in pro wrestling would refer to it as, and just get right back up. And not only did he not blink, rest of the team just kind of embodied that all afternoon. It was such a validation point for Penn State. It's not the end of the line, but let's please remember what the talking point was about this team. When we started the season... And there was one poll and one poll only out there that had them top 10, and that was the one on this show. I took a lot of flack for it, which is fine. There were some teams we were wrong about. We're not wrong about this one. But I said, they're going to be two nail-biter games, just like last year. There are two nail-biter games. That game at Purdue was a nail-biter. I thought the game at Auburn was going to be a nail-biter. Well, they've gotten through that opening stretch 3-0. and Now they got Central Michigan. They're favored by over three touchdowns this Saturday. Then they've got Northwestern. This should be a 5-0 start for Penn State. And then guess what we have mid-October? Do you want me to tell you? If you're listening on podcast, I've taken a relaxed posture here for a second because I'm just, just kind of envisioning down the road if Michigan's still undefeated, and I think they will be, and if Penn State's still undefeated, and I think they will be, can you imagine Ann Arbor, Michigan, mid-October? Penn State at Michigan. And then they got Minnesota, which is the whiteout game, by the way, the very next week. And then they got Ohio State in there the week after that. Big noon kickoff. So 
all of a sudden that Penn State season looks a little bit different, doesn't it? I know some people are still out there doubting them. That's fine. You didn't hear me coronate them as a playoff contender yet. You didn't hear me crown them as a, a top four, top five lock. I think they're a very, very solid team. I see the AP has them at 14 today. It's still underrated. Admittedly, there's not a huge gap. Once you get into the 7 through 20 range, there's not a huge gap. So I understand it's kind of semantics. But Penn State's a really good team. We're going to obviously be talking about them a lot more this season. Huge hat tip. Huge congratulations. Know a number of folks in that operation. And they've, they've had a ton of noise spoken about them. And they listened to a ton of noise this past week about how that environment was going to chew them up. And they did something they haven't been doing in the past. And that is just make the conditions irrelevant. They turned the external factors into irrelevancy because they went in there and just took over a game. Emptied a stadium and they traveled down there very well. There were a ton of these, these white shirts. There were a ton of them in Lee County, Alabama and the surrounding area this week. So it was a good trip for Auburn folks up there last year. I was there. Uh, it was a good trip for Penn State and they went 2-0 in the process. Um, speaking of Auburn, this was about as jarring a result as they could have ever expected. No one expected it. Again, most Penn State fans didn't expect this kind of margin of victory. It's the worst home loss for Auburn in a decade. That 2012 season, which was an unmitigated disaster, is the last time that they suffered a loss like this. And I'll tell you what it did, and uh, we got to be real here. Let me take a little sippy sip. I feel like the voice is going to make it tonight, but we got to be careful. This loss evaporated every ounce of spring and summer equity that Brian Harson had built up. I was a big fan and a proponent of him being front-facing in the spring. After that garbage off the field went down and he kept his job, I think that he represents himself very well when he speaks publicly. And I didn't think he was doing it enough. And so he did it throughout the spring. He did it throughout the summer. And what that did really, it didn't matter a whole lot, but it mattered in one way. And that was if he was going to come into this season and have some close losses and be in that seven-win range, but dogfights, just scrapping every game. I thought that that spring and summer equity he built up with the fan base could possibly be enough to buy him another season. You can't lose 41-12 to at home to Penn State and have that matter. No amount of public speaking circuit work that you do in June is going to buy you enough rope to be losing games like this. I talked to, I don't know how, a bunch of people who matter around Auburn this week. And to say the tune shifted pretty radically Thursday and Friday to today is an understatement. It is viewed as an inevitability that this will be the end of the line for Brian Harson. I don't take much joy in saying that. I happen to like the guy. I happen to like him a lot. Uh, but that really doesn't matter. There are guys that I like that are unemployed. There are guys I don't like that are winning in this sport. So whether you like someone, it's a tough business. It's a bottom line business. And the bottom line is they don't have a quarterback that can win for them. They don't have the skill level on their roster to survive what they're about to go through. Because while they, they faced Penn State yesterday and were non-competitive, they've got teams coming up who are better than Penn State. You know, that Auburn team you saw yesterday, They've got to play Georgia. They got to play Alabama. They got to play an improving LSU. They got to play Texas A&M. They got to play Arkansas. They've got to go to Mississippi State. Woof. They, oh, by the way, they're just going to go to Ole Miss too. Sorry. Amongst all of the 
death march that they're going to take in the SEC. I forgot, uh, just another top 15, top 20 team there. It's going to be a, a bad time for Auburn the rest of the year. I'm glad we were able to get down there this week. We had a good time, but it's going to be a bad time. Things are about to get real in a hurry. Uh, I will say this. Even though there's nothing official, I think there was a sense that I picked up on that at least this result left no doubt where the future is headed. There's no one, in other words, who pushes back now on the notion that this is probably it for Brian Harson. No one pushed back on it. Whereas previously, I mean, as recently as 48 hours ago, I could have gotten people to push back on that. No one's pushing back. So like I said, all that equity, gone, evaporated. Now the question becomes, who's acceptable? You get your usual coaching search cranked up, not officially, but unofficially. I, you, trust me, it's happening. And you're going to see some very interesting names floated out there. And I would encourage you, as I always do, don't look to win the press conference. Don't look to win the headlines. Don't worry about what the front page says. Go get you a guy who can win and get you a guy who knows how to build. There are several out there. Some of the names aren't sexy, but there are several out there. When the time comes, we'll do that segment. That time is not tonight. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time every night for us to thank this bright blue, I guess that's not a banner, I guess it's a screen behind us, Academy Sports and Outdoors. Uh, did you notice we kind of got to go on the road several days this week? Guess who made that possible? You notice we pretty much get to go wherever we want. Guess who makes that possible? Do you notice that we get to give you the show for free? Guess who makes it possible? Academy Sports and Outdoors. Now, it'd be one thing if this were a septic tank company or, you know, a, a toxic chemical company or, I don't know, any kind of company that, that you probably don't have immediate use for. This, this right here is a company with stores all over, well, a growing portion of the United States and a website accessible to every one of you that has so much stuff you need. Sporting goods equipment. Beyond, I was at Auburn yesterday, and we look out over this expanse of tailgating. Now, admittedly, Academy Sports and Outdoors blanketed Auburn, Alabama already, so I don't have to tell you guys to do anything you're not already doing down there. Salute to our friends at Auburn. You guys have got Academy on every street corner. 
But for those of you who haven't locked down a grill from Academy or a tent from Academy or a cooler from Academy or bats, balls, gloves, hats from Academy, just do it. To steal a slogan from a company whose apparel is sold at Academy Sports and Outdoors, just buy it. Just, just peruse the selection, endless in nature, at Academy Sports and Outdoors. And while you're doing it, understand that you are supporting the show that has supported us almost from the very beginning. And their support grows every day. I mean, I have conversations with those folks multiple times per week now about what else we can do. And uh, they're very productive conversations, and it's because of you, because they hear and get the traction from you. So always appreciate Academy Sports and Outdoors for having our back. Make sure you're checking out the selection they have. Brand new stuff for fall. Obviously, you guys know how you live your lives in the fall. They do too. They got your hookup. So if you can't get there in person, academy.com has got your hookup. Paper pop number two. Something very important happened last night in College Station, Texas. And it's not something, mm, let me rephrase, it's not everything that Texas A&M wanted. But it was everything they needed. They needed to just win against Miami, and they did. Now, the final was 17-9. to And I think if you are a future opponent of Texas A&M, you probably watched this game, and you saw 37 different things that you think your team's going to be able to exploit and is not going to be good enough to beat your team. Who knows? Maybe you're right. I couldn't care less. They needed a win. It wasn't optional. Last night was not optional. They had to get it. Uh, we got what we thought we'd get from this game. We got a Texas A&M win. We got a Texas A&M cover. Now, that final score and that margin really doesn't tell the story. You're looking at a box score if you're watching on YouTube right now. And if I don't give you the final score of this game, does it make a whole lot of sense? You're looking at what I'm looking at? 27-16 first down edge. Favor. Hurricanes. 392-264 yardage edge. Favor. Hurricanes. More passing yards, more rushing yards, time of possession, about eight or nine minutes, whatever that is. So there were a lot of indicators in the box score that said, Miami, did they outplay Texas A&M? Well, numerically, in some cases they did, but I kept telling you last week when we previewed this game and I said I thought A&M was going to win it, I told you, I thought Miami could be very competitive here, but I thought it was too early for them. And I realized in retrospect when a lot of you DM'd me and said, what do you mean by that? I should have gone into further detail. What I meant was I thought the program, the Mario Cristobal Miami program, was too young to go on the road and get this win. And when you watch how they lost, precisely what I was talking about is the reason they couldn't come away with the win. It wasn't that they were non-competitive at all. Uh, but I think Mario Cristobal actually said in his postgame, it's not enough to just compete. Like you can compete and still not do the things it takes to win. You've got to execute. Competitors can screw up every play and, and be playing really hard and screw up every play, but they did not execute well enough. A&M did enough to win. I thought that the moment would be a little bit too big at this point for Miami. Now, here's what else I'll say. This is not a finished product of a team this year. Miami could play this game in November for all I know, and end up being good enough to win it. It's not the way college football works. I'm just saying, though, it's a learning experience for them. But they, they outgained them by 128. Uh, they ran 77 plays to A&M's 52. So that was, again, kind of an issue this week for Texas A&M. 27 first downs for Miami and no touchdown. Now, you explain to me how you pull that off. 27 first downs and no touchdown. 
critical amounts of drops, wide receiver core should be flat out embarrassed for Miami. I, I'm not saying Tyler Van Dyke played a perfect game by any stretch, but that dude was standing in there in the fourth quarter, especially standing in there and taking shots and giving you catchable balls. And the same problems Miami's receiver core had last year and in the spring and in fall camp cropped up to no surprise, really, of anyone who pays attention to the program. And it may very well have cost him a chance to win. Had critical penalties, mental miscues. So that's how Miami lost the game. But AM won the game. It was very critical. There were three things that happened this week that I want you to really pay attention to because I think these three things will matter moving forward. It's not just a yesterday thing. Number one, Jimbo Fisher did indeed change starting quarterbacks. So Max Johnson started for him. Didn't light the world on fire. I, the best way I would describe it is they just looked more functional with him at quarterback. I just felt a little better. Again, it's not a huge statistical day. Uh, that's, that's never the case when you score 17 points. But they did enough to win. I felt more comfortable watching them, I guess is the best way to describe that. Number two, Texas A&M bought themselves another week. If they lost yesterday, it would have been a disaster. They bought themselves another week. What I mean by that is I am not a believer that teams are finished versions of themselves in September. It's very much a developmental game. At the college level, way more than the pro level. The pro level, sometimes you just are what you are in the first month of the season. But the good teams, especially the ones with really deep talent rosters, they buy themselves the opportunity to get better, to start getting into what we call ascension mode. Now, A&M's not there yet, but it's a team with the capability to be there. So, for instance, they win yesterday, 17-9, unimpressive to you, maybe. But what if we fast forward to November 5th and they've only lost one more game or maybe they haven't lost a game and all of a sudden they're, they're in the mid-30s every week and they're averaging uh, you know, two to one ratios offensively of the statistical outliers that they're putting up right now. And all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, wow, you know, if they lost that Miami game back several years ago, it seems like now, if they lost that game, they might have been written off for dead, but they won that game. I didn't realize it at the time, but they bought themselves some time and somehow it clicked. That Max Johnson change at quarterback, bringing some of those hurt guys back and some of those suspended guys back, I'll talk about in a second. All of a sudden, now A&M looks good. Wow. Who would have thought it? Well, it's college football. Anyone who's watched it is who should have thought it. I'm not saying it's a guarantee with them. I'm saying they bought themselves another week to give themselves the opportunity to get into that mode. The third thing that happened, which you may have saw a headline about, was Jimbo Fisher suspended several guys before this game. Now, when I saw the headline, I was down at Auburn. So I said, huh, that's interesting. Some of them were the same ones that were in the news earlier this week. And when I say news, I mainly mean the hardcore college football news. You didn't see this lead the NBC Nightly News or anything like that. I don't, I don't think it got on Lester Holt's radar, but I do know that a number of the guys that were suspended, I think it was four of them, uh, true freshmen, and guys that would have played, a couple of them would have played yesterday, and I thought Jimbo Fisher, for curfew-related reasons, by the way, was why they got suspended. I thought he did what he had to do. Now, after the fact, everyone says, oh, of course, yeah, you got to suspend him. Well, no, you don't have to. Now, I want some of you to try and put yourselves in his position. It should be a non-negotiable. I agree with you on that. If you're, if you're saying that to your screen right now, you said, what, what, are you, what point are you trying to make? 
They broke the rules, they get suspended. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what I'd like you to do. Try and imagine it, because hardly any of us are ever going to be in this position. Imagine being paid eight or nine million dollars a year, having the weight of the world on your shoulders, having had a disaster last week, and having contributing members of your team break what some would call a minor rule. They didn't go out and rob a convenience store. They, they broke curfew. There's a way that you could handle that where no one in the public finds out about it. And there's a way you could tell them, look, you'll, you'll just run hills for me during the week, but I mean, I'm not going to suspend you over this. He could have done that. He didn't. Now, they won the game without those guys. I have a sneaking suspicion that some of the more veteran layers of that team really appreciate how that was handled. I think they were integral in it being handled that way. And I also think that every single one of those kids who got suspended will be better for it or the program will be better for it because they will be filtered out for not responding positively to justified punishment. Either way, that's the kind of stuff that resonates in a locker room. When you bring in guys as part of a true freshman class that's the highest rated of all time, and they get a little sideways during the week with some things they like on Twitter and some comments they make and some videos they post, and then they break curfew, and it doesn't matter if we got a must-win game Saturday or not. They're not here. They're not starting. They're not playing. Good. It's the way it should have been handled. I'm just saying it's not as simple as that. And there are coaches out there who would have cut that corner because they were in that must-win situation. Jimbo Fisher didn't, so my hat's off to him. Programs from coast to coast, by the way, and I wanted to make this comment before I move on. I hope you watched some of this game last night. And those of you who were fortunate enough to be there, I talked to a couple of our viewers from South Florida who traveled there for the Miami game. They could not stop talking about the environment. It is very popular to make fun of Texas A&M. Now, as I told you last year, and I have reiterated several times, I love that place, so I will always defend them. I always laugh when they post videos of like midnight yell and they post videos of various traditions they have around here and everyone makes fun of it because it's just the popular thing to do and they either defend it or they just brush it off like they don't care because once I went out there, I got it and I appreciate it. I couldn't care less if no one else does it like that. How in the world are you going to talk about being a college football fan and about how much you love the unique cultures and traditions around this country and then make fun of unique culture and tradition when you see it just because it's not what you do in Minnesota or you do in Virginia or California. It's not supposed to be what you do. That's what college football is supposed to be. They don't crank inner Sandman when they run onto Kyle Field. You know why? It's not their thing. But you also don't do the Aggie War him in Orlando, Florida because it's not your thing. Who cares? Appreciate it for what it is. You make fun of it, and I look at it, and I say, there's a lot of programs around the country who could learn a thing or two from what they just did last week. I want you to remember, that App State loss was one of the most embarrassing losses in the history of that football program. And those folks went, and all they did was immediately sell out the next week's game, and they created a spectacle of a home environment. It was a massive recruiting weekend for them. They knocked it out of the park, and they, for the umpteenth time, put a display on national television that represents everything that a lot of us love about this game more than any other game that exists out there. So I'll credit the A&M folks if no one else will. Uh, congratulations on the win. They got Arkansas this week. It's in Dallas. It's a neutral site game, obviously. A&M opened as a two and a half point favorite. And I don't know if it moved in the last hour. Actually, I've got the odds pulled up right here and it did not. So A&M still a two and a half point favorite.
Colin, is it time? Yeah, so it's, so it's time to do two things. It's time to straighten my microphone here. And it's time to let you know where we're headed this week. Some of you think I just gave you a tease, but I didn't. Straighten the mic again. Okay. We spent Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Auburn this past week. We had a special deal with our friends at uh, Verbo. Yes, Verbo. I'll tell you about that later. In the meantime, I want to tell you, it was a great trip, as most of these trips are. I, so I, I think we may have broken our record for the amount of fan interactions we had. When we were in Arkansas in week one, never had anything like that. But we were only there three days. We were down in Auburn four days, so they got a little bit of a, an edge on you. But the Penn State folks, we have a huge viewership from Penn State. We got a massive viewership from Auburn. I, I cannot even begin to count how many of you came up and said hello. We appreciate it. We were propped up right there in Plainsman Park. So uh, head coach Butch Thompson over there, baseball coach, we did a little hit with him. He just basically opened up his entire field for us and said, here, use this as your staging ground. So we, we appreciate everyone at Auburn. But the show must go on. And so we've now got a week four slate on our hands. And there were some late night deliberations going on because there were some games that ended yesterday in a way other than what we thought they were going to. And I got to be honest, it had a huge impact on the every given Saturday's week four tour destination. So guess where we're going? We're headed to Knoxville, Tennessee for Florida versus Tennessee, ranked versus ranked. Rated versus rated in the JP poll. I love going to Neyland Stadium, just on the surface. But when they're doing checkered Neyland like they're doing this Saturday, I really especially love going to Neyland. So we'll be over there. I'll be over there before Saturday. I'm not exactly sure when I'm getting in town yet. When I know, you'll know. But I suspect, in fact, I promise you, the kind of spectacle that we saw in College Station last night I think we'll get something very similar. Huge recruiting weekend for Tennessee, too. I already know that without even checking with Wilt Fong. Huge recruiting weekend coming up for them. This will feel much like the Florida-Tennessee rivalry is supposed to feel. Huge game. And it's, it's going to be something that I think Tennessee opening is a 9, 9.5-point favorite. It's already up to 10 in some places. There's, there's going to be pressure to perform. I don't think it matters one bit. I think Tennessee will be ready to go. I, I am very interested to see how Anthony Richardson responds. Had a couple of games now where in the postgame, he's talked adamantly about how I got to get better. I got to be better. I got to be, well, you, you got to be better because this is a team that will run away and hide from you on the scoreboard if you're not better. Florida, Tennessee, never been able to see it in person until this weekend. We are going to Neyland Stadium. And hey, I just, late breaking news in my ear, Colin's going with me. So there you go. How about that? Director Colin, who has not even been officially confirmed to exist, only just last week did producer Jesse pop out in public. So a lot of firsts happening around here. Really excited to go to Neyland this Saturday. Uh, we go back to yesterday. Let me take another sip of, what is this? Espresso, yeah. Mm. Cold espresso at that. And let's roll on. LSU 31, Mississippi State 16, massive kudos due to Matt House. That's the defensive coordinator down at LSU. Massive kudos. Now that this game's over, I can give you a little nugget. I was talking to some, shall we say, scouting types, to keep it generic, some scouting types. That could be anything. And this was a month ago. This was before LSU even opened the season. This was during fall camp. 
And those scouting types, plural there, kids, plural, they said to me, circle that week three game, Mississippi State at LSU. And I said, why, Mr. and Mrs. Scouting types? And they said, we don't think LSU's defensive backs can match up. We think it's a total mismatch. We think they're going to get exposed. Uh, we think that they lost some really good players and they replaced them with average to good players. And if we're right, then Mike Leach will shred them. And the game happened last night. And uh, Mississippi State had 214 yards through the air. And they put 16 on the board. And LSU closed with a 31-3 run to win this game. I do not want to overlook how, how impressive that is. This was a game they needed, obviously. Can't be falling to one and two down there. This was a game they could have been vulnerable in. And they weren't. They weren't. Now, they didn't start fast offensively. But defense, Matt House and crew, they gave them time. And when they clicked, when Jaden Daniels and that offense clicked, they really clicked. It kept them in position. So if you told me, here's another thing to keep in mind. For those of you who didn't watch the game, it seems like every punt return and every kickoff return, Mississippi State got out to midfield. So they had great starting average field position, and they still couldn't dent the scoreboard more than a couple of times. So this is, this is a way to win this game that a lot of people did not think would be in the cards. A lot of people thought LSU would just flat out have to outscore them, and that's not the way it went down. So hats off to LSU's defense. Secondly, given the spot and given the circumstances, I think we may have seen the best football we've ever seen Jaden Daniels play, and that includes his time at Arizona State. He was good last night. He was 22 of 37, uh, threw for 210, one touchdown, no interceptions. He ran for another 93 yards, uh, two touchdowns on the ground. We had two touchdowns total. So he played not flawless, but, but within context and within reason, he played about as well as you ever could have expected him to play, especially this early in the year. It, it still should be a feeling out process. And in some ways it is, but man, he was, he was very good last night. And it goes back to the message board culture, goes back to the Twitter culture. Every time LSU loses a game this year, you're going to be told Brian Kelly's not a good fit. And every time LSU wins a game the next week, the same folks who told you that are going to flip-flop on him. And it's the whole honey versus water analogy. Move at the speed of honey. Do not let your opinion on year one head coaches react at the speed of water. Because water, just turn the plate this way, falls off. Turn the plate that way, falls off. Move at the speed of honey. Sometimes guys aren't good fits, but you don't find out over the span of one week. So you turn that plate sideways and let that little drop of honey slowly creep, creep, creep down. And if LSU looks like they did against Florida State 10 times, well, then you know you got a problem. But they didn't. And now I look at their schedule, and they go to Auburn in a couple of weeks, and they got Tennessee, they got Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama. It doesn't get easier. But this is a team with good talent. Not great, but pretty good talent. And they, they've still got a very high ceiling this year. I wanted to talk about USC and Fresno for just a couple of minutes here. I don't think a lot of you got eyeballs on this game, but I did. Uh, USC won going away, 45-17. USC is a team in ascension mode. I know there were varying degrees of questions out there about how seriously should we take USC this year. Many of you were confused by this point spread. Because it was 12 or 13 or so. I, don't, I can't remember what it closed at. But, but you thought to yourself, hmm, Fresno just lost to Oregon State. They're playing at USC. Shouldn't this thing be like 21 or so? In retrospect, maybe it should have been. But 
The reason was because USC has benefited so much from turnovers. And they did again last night, plus two in the turnover column. It's kind of becoming more than just happenstance, maybe a trend this year. But the thinking in Vegas world is that those things even out, and eventually you're going to have to play a game straight up, and maybe USC isn't quite as good as those margins have shown. Well, uh, they were still very good last night. Now, defensively, they're still giving up big plays, and Alex Grinch is facing some of the same questions he faced early on at Oklahoma. Uh, he's being shielded by Lincoln Riley, kind of like he was at Oklahoma. I got confidence in him, just like I did when he was at Oklahoma. But Caleb Williams, in the meantime, 25 of 37, 284, two touchdowns. They had two 100-yard rushers in this game, which is pretty good. I think we can all admit, but it's the first time that's happened for USC since 2018. And here's another thing. They've got back-to-back-to-back double-digit wins to start the season. First time that's happened since 2007. So now the question, as you look at USC's schedule, becomes, okay, well, how good really are they? And how good can they be? How, how are we supposed to contextualize them? Are we supposed to talk about USC as a New Year's Six Bowl kind of team? Could they be uh, the Pac-12 champion? Could they be a fringe playoff contender? I just keep thinking about that date. Ironically, it's the same day that Michigan plays Penn State. And that is December 5th or October 15th. And that's at Utah. That's when they go to Utah. Now, they've got some games before then. First off, they go to Oregon State this week, and that's a single-digit line. Uh, they got Washington State at home in a couple of weeks. But that game looms. Everyone knows that game at Utah is coming. So just keep that in mind. They're watching us in Mount Washington, Kentucky. Vallejo, California is tuned in. And Augusta, Georgia is tuned in. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys who are tuned in in the live chat. We've got nearly 5,000 of you tuned in. We don't have 1,000 likes on the video yet. I think when I snap my fingers, that'll change. Yeah, I think so. So please like the video. That's all. Back to the show. <coughs> We're going to make it, Colin. Don't worry. I am going to spend a couple of minutes talking about Georgia, South Carolina for two reasons. The first is Kirby Smart put another skull on his mantle yesterday, and it was that of South Carolina football. True Sarah McLaughlin special in Columbia. No other way to put it. South Carolina did not meet the freeze point. I think that's pretty obvious, and I think most of us understood that going in. So they didn't have much of a shot to win the game. It was very lopsided. Georgia did what Alabama used to do. They do routinely now what Bama used to do on the road. It's been a couple of years since Bama was this dependable on the road. I am making this comparison for two reasons. Number one, because it's valid. And number two, because my friends over on Dogs 24-7 love nothing more than when I compare the Georgia program to the Bama program. I know they love it. They let me know every time how much they love it, so I'm, I'm doing it once more. Now, I've seen some talk out there about how one program's overtaken the other, blah, blah, blah. We're not doing that tonight. I'm talking about this football game. But what they do on the road is not fun for you to watch. Uh, they do run it up, and they do leave no doubt about as well as anyone right now. Shark Week prepared me for this. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was driving back to Nashville. I love Shark Week growing up. I love Shark Week before Shark Week was cool. I'm kind of like Barbara Mandrell to country music, but I am that way to Shark Week. I was Shark Week before Shark Week was cool. And the thing about Shark Week is when they show the great whites and the sea lions, it is sobering for a child to watch. Sea lions are adorable. They are very cute, lovable. You, you think to yourself, why don't more humans have these things as pets? Here's the problem with a sea lion. 
The great white does not see it like you and I see it from the comfort of our living room. The great white looks at the sea lion and it sees lunch and that's it. And when Georgia looks at your program, they don't see upstanding men of character. They don't see bright young minds. Uh, they don't see cool logos. They don't care what the mothers and sisters and brothers and uncles think and how they're all in the stands watching their kids play. They just come in and they shred you. They rip you to pieces and then they leave and you're splattered all over the place. Shark Week got me ready for what Georgia now does to teams on the road. So I encourage you, if you were a little disturbed by what you saw yesterday, just check out Shark Week. You'll be fine. Anyway, after this game, where there's not really much more to say about what Georgia did, it was annihilation. After the game, Shane Beamer had a press conference, which every coach has, and I started to get some text about it. This game happened early, so it was over midday, and about the time our game starting down at Auburn, I'm starting to get some text about Shane Beamer's post-game remarks. And I, of course, had not seen them. So this was a situation where I'm getting your feedback before I myself have seen what it is you're talking about. So finally, today, I saw what you were talking about. Luckily, we have procured the video. Now, I want you to know before Colin rolls this, a big deal was made about this. And things were said, I'm going to let you react to it, but I'm going to tell you what I think it won't take long, I promise, on the other side. Let's see it. You sense any give up in the locker room? Hell no. What kind of questions that, Phil? Um, we're one and two. We're one and two. We got a bunch of fighters in that room and, um, and give up. That's not a part of this football program. Get out of here, man, with that. So, uh, mainly people unfamiliar with what a foxhole even is had a problem with what Shane Beamer said. If you didn't understand the question, he was asked, do you sense any give up in the locker room? Now, I'm, I'm not really going to cast aspersions anywhere. I don't care if the guy wants to ask that question. And for that matter, I don't personally know of any complaining he did about it. He may have. I haven't heard his personal reaction to the answer he got. It may just be other people being offended and he couldn't care less about it. My point is, I don't care that he asked the question. I also don't care about how Beamer reacted because I'm pretty sure I would have reacted the same way. I heard a lot of folks, and this is the reaction I got from people. People say, well, he just kind of responded as a jerk. No, he responded in a real way. See, a lot of folks out there complain about coach speak and about how coaches won't be real with you. And then one's real with you. You ask him if his team's quit after week three and he verbally backhands you, which is what he should have done. It's what I would have done. And, and, and also, I got to be careful because there are so many tangents I could go on. People who talk about other people quitting normally have no clue what they're talking about because they've normally never been in a locker room. And even if you have been in a locker room, but you're not in that locker room, you don't know if anyone's quit. You have no clue what you're talking about. So I always love slamming the door on that. I rarely traffic in that myself. If I am trafficking in it, it's normally November, firstly. And secondly, I have direct knowledge of what I'm talking about. I, I can pretty well rest assured people talking about South Carolina quitting yesterday didn't have direct knowledge of what they're talking about. Anyway, back on track. Second thing, he needs to handle it better was the other bit of criticism that I got. Because I flat out put on Twitter earlier today, how does anyone have a problem with this? How is this a big deal? Yeah, he needs to handle it better. How would you like him to handle it? I asked a couple of you, how would you like him to handle it? Would you like him to respond in utter deference? Does he need to bend a knee to the assembled beat 
and media there in South Carolina? No. Um, I think that sometimes when adults answer in an adult way, some folks just have a problem with it. They're rubbed the wrong way. But there's a double standard in this sport, and, and you know it's true. If Nick Saban answered a question that way, you have no problem with it. And yet Shane Beamer answered a question that way, and some of you do have a problem with it for whatever reason. Now, if you want to tell me, well, Nick Saban's a better coach than Shane Beamer. He's got the track record. Okay, but you have just admitted there's a double standard. I'm just going to judge them all the same. If I wouldn't have a problem with Kirby or Saban or, or Dabo answering like that, I don't have a problem with Beamer answering like that. And that's about all there is to it. Okay, that's it. Time to move on. Some more added takeaways from yesterday. Texas won a game that's not going to be remembered 10 years from now, but it's a really, really big deal. They were down to UTSA 17-7, to and this was probably a box score or a lower third or a highlight type game for most of you. You probably didn't tune in. They were in a vulnerable position. It wasn't until Thursday that they knew Hudson Card was going to be good enough to play, and I can tell you confidently early in the week they did not think he was going to be able to go. And they were down 17-7, and they didn't blink. Those were the direct words of Steve Sarkeesian after the game, by the way. Now, I want you to think about something. Could be nothing, could be everything. Last year, they got the Oklahoma loss, and, and as has been well documented by now on this show, amongst others, Steve Sarkeesian was on record as saying, after the Oklahoma game, we never got our, our mind back. I never got the team back. This was that moment. Post-Bama, close win, in other words, a or close loss, and, and you've got a chance to implode. You're down 10, you got your backup quarterback in, and you just you run them out of the building. You end up winning comfortably. You end up winning and covering. And that's a really big deal because that's not what they did last year. And what did they do? They bought themselves a week. They're going to go to Lubbock, Texas this week. That line opened at 3.5 or 4 in favor of Texas. They've got Oklahoma coming up, so we know we got West Virginia and Oklahoma coming up, but we got to get there first. Uh, Texas, I thought, performed very admirably yesterday because they didn't have their fastball, and the hallmark of good teams is they can win when they have to put their B-minus effort out there. They were able to win, so my hat's off to them. That is, that is not a nothing burger, to say the least. Washington just beat Michigan State yesterday. There were there's some games where you look at the final yesterday, uh, that NC State-Texas Tech game, think a little misleading because of turnovers. That Washington game was just kind of a beatdown. Uh, Michigan State's got a problem, a couple of them actually. They got ripped through the air by Michael Penix, 24-40 for nearly 400 yards and four touchdowns. That's what the Indiana transfer quarterback went for. And secondly, Michigan State couldn't run the ball to save their lives. 20, they ran the ball 29 times, so they invested a significant portion of their game plan into running the ball, and they put 42 total yards up out of those 29 carries. Stats and info tells me that is 1.4 yards per carry. I was listening to this game driving home, and then I went and rewatched it, obviously, when I got back home or earlier this morning. This is, this is going to create an interesting situation for Michigan State this week. They play Minnesota. That is a very tight point spread at open, I think one or one and a half. Uh, that is going to put Michigan State in wounded animal mode at home. More on that game later this week. I'm going to have to take a second look at Washington. Before the season, I was doing a hit with our, our buddies, um, I think Mike Yam was on out there. 
think Haberman and Mike M. Anyway, I was on Pac-12 Serious Radio, and we were talking about Washington at length. And I know that my initial take in the summer was there is a surprising amount of talent there that was just horribly misutilized by Jimmy Lake. But Kalen DeBoer is the new head coach there. They've probably got a coaching staff way more adept at using the talent they inherited. I just didn't know if they'd start fast enough. And yet here they are really taking Michigan State to the woodshed last night. And now I've got to look at them. And I've got to look at the fact that uh, Washington's 3-0. So that's going to be a team I'm focused a lot on this week. Ole Miss totally and completely splattered Georgia Tech yesterday. Probably as embarrassed as I've been in a long time is the fact that I put money from my wallet on Georgia Tech in a football game yesterday. And that's on me. And I got to live with that. It was a bloodbath. I mean, you think of Ole Miss. I think most of you, when you think of Ole Miss, you think high-octane, bombing away, and it was none of that. They ran the ball 62 times. Lane Kiffin came in and, and just flat-out realized, we don't have to do anything else. I got, I got a little quarterback situation here I need to figure out. Save it for another day. That won't be today. We're going to run it 62 times. We're going to run it for over 315 yards on them, and we're going to have 31 first downs, and this will never be in doubt and we're going to have a lot of our alumni in Atlanta have a nice afternoon in the sun. And that's pretty much the day yesterday. That's your game recap. It's over for Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech. It's over. Next up, Oregon really took care of Brigham Young. Uh, BYU. I'm going to stick to my word. I'm going to use the acronym. Bo Nix had five touchdowns yesterday, which was really interesting because I was standing, oh, nose is running. I was standing on the field at Auburn with Jim Dunaway, friend of the program. Check out Next Round Live, their YouTube channel, Next Round Live. Those guys are doing in the radio world uh, a very parallel version of what we've done in more of the YouTube world. And they have a YouTube channel of their own. Really good friends of the program, really good dudes, Next Round Live. I think you'll really love their content. But I was talking to Dunaway yesterday, because there was nothing else to do in the fourth quarter. And he said, isn't it crazy how we're sitting here watching Bo Nix put up five touchdowns like 3,000 miles away while Auburn is void of any quarterback ability and talent whatsoever in the game that's happening right in front of us. And I said, yeah, that is pretty crazy now that I think about it. It's got such a way with words and metaphors, does that Jim Dunaway. So Auburn's imploding in front of our very eyes, and Bo Nix is out there just kind of taking it to BYU. Now, BYU was down multiple receivers, down multiple defensive linemen, this is not an indictment on them. It's just, it's a loss. It's what happens when you load your schedule up like they did. Uh, this, is, this is what you have to face when you move to the Big 12. Now, this, they're not a stranger to this because they've been playing the independent schedule for a little while now. Uh, it's, it's a credit to them. They're, they're upping the level of play. They're going to have some losses. They're going to have some bumps in the road. Uh, this is not a team that's going anywhere. They'll be fine this year. They'll be back. They'll probably end up upsetting a couple of folks down the road. But this is just a nightmare for anyone who wanted to discredit Georgia in week one by beating an overrated Oregon team. Oregon was overrated relative to where the AP had them. To be clear, now, that's our opinion. But they weren't badly overrated. Oregon's a good team uh, with, with a very, very underrated talent roster. Georgia just, just took them and disposed of them in week one. And here they are. They're, as soon as they get done being toyed with by Georgia, they just get right back to taking care of business. 
that's how you know. It's one of the ways you know how good Georgia is. So, yeah, congratulations to Oregon. Say what now, Jesse? Jesse just, oh, that's embarrassing. Should I tell them what you told me in my ear? Yeah, okay. So, so I've, I've, I've had a little trickle. I've, I've had a cold for like a week. I had a little trickle that I could feel in my nose, but I didn't know if it was visible on air. And I can't really tell on our screen. And then Jesse comes in my ear and says, wipe the left side of your nose. At which point I realized 15 seconds ago it was visible. All right, so there we go, Jesse. Um, I don't want to get out of this without congratulating App State. I mean, it was a pretty surreal experience yesterday. We were at Auburn, and I'm, I'm, we're in the middle of like an injury timeout or something. And I'm turned and I'm watching the big screen because they kind of, like, like our little big screen here, imagine if right now we were just watching a game on there. You never know if it's live or if it's a replay. Turns out we were watching the final play of Troy versus App State live. There's no sound. There's just the video. So some folks are looking at their phone. Some folks are going to the concession stand. Some folks have already been on the road for 20 minutes because their home team's getting blown out. And I see what can't be real, and that is the ending of that App State game. And it was, and I know some people on that Troy staff. I intentionally have not reached out today, guys, because I know, I know you're gutted. Uh, but wow, App State the past two weeks. Think about that. So they scored 40 in a fourth quarter and lost against North Carolina. And that's like the third most crazy thing that's happened for them this year. And it's September 18th. Every given Saturday. Every given Saturday. Congrats to App State. Uh, meanwhile, I want to bring to your attention, this deserves a paper pop. I want to bring to your attention basketball season has not started yet. But that doesn't mean that Kentucky and Kansas and Duke and Arizona cannot be a combined 3, 6, 9, 11 and 1. Kansas and Duke play this week. And I can't believe I'm about to say this. We had to consider it for the Every Given Saturday tour. We had to, we're not going, we're going to Knoxville, but we had to consider it. We had to consider Kansas versus Duke. Kansas is favored by over a touchdown against Duke, by the way. Kansas has already beaten West Virginia and Houston on the road. Uh, they, they took the soul from Houston so much yesterday that Houston, I think, I think one kid RKO'd his own teammate on the sideline or sweet chin music. I don't know what finishing move he used, but it was not a good scene on the Houston sideline. Oregon State's 3-0. They've beaten Boise. They've beaten Fresno. Arizona, we're one win away from already cashing our preseason win total bet on Arizona. It was two and a half, by the way. They beat North Dakota State. So, hey man, some of these teams that people overlooked are rolling, and I congratulate them. Can't spend a ton of time on it, but I, I want the congratulations out there. So, I've got to do two things. The first thing I got to do, I've got to address something. Uh, the Ramen Noodle Express has been bad, bad, embarrassingly bad. And I have had it out. In fact, you, you hear that I'm kind of hoarse. It's because I yelled a significant amount in the office today at this computer. This is the model. I hold it in my hand right now. This is the model. It lives in this computer. Um, here's the thing. It's been, it's been terrible. We've had a very, very bad stretch of weeks here. Now, here's what I'm not going to do. What I'm not going to do is start apologizing for anything. This is gambling. That's what this is. So I, I got a, it wasn't as bad as you would think, but I got about a dozen or two dozen DMs yesterday from grown men uh, wanting to complain to me in varying degrees of language about losing money. Uh, here's what you need to understand, and this is about the last time I'm going to talk about this. Do not ever come at me, email, DM, in person, whatever. 
about me losing you money. You bet your money, and if you lose it, you lose it. If you don't want to follow any of the picks we give out here, then don't do it. If you can't afford to lose money, I would always advise you to never be betting a dime on this stuff anyway. So that's the first thing. The second thing, if you have followed us for any length of time, is you know how this goes. I get the sense most of the ones complaining are either new to sports betting or they're new to the show. We, we will be fine. We've got a very long and established track record with the modeling we use. So we'll be fine. I mean, we, Jesse, you were new, I think, two years ago. We had like an 18-2 and two run at one point, and boy, everyone sung our praises. Uh, guess which model we were using? This one. Same one. So we'll hit a hot streak. Uh, but in the meantime, you, you're getting blocked if you come at me with some of the stuff you guys came at me with over the past 24 hours. Uh, it ain't on me when you lose your money. So either follow all the picks, don't follow them at all, but I'm not about to listen to that. All right, it's time to be nice again. I'm on one early this week, and it's way out west, and it involves a team we just talked about. Well, it involves a team that plays a team that we just talked about. Washington State plus six. They are playing Oregon. And we like this to, the model likes it to be a tie game, which is impossible in the college game. We don't mess around like the folks on Sunday do. We don't end in ties. I don't care if we got to play to like three in the morning like Iowa did. We'll get you a final score. Washington State plus six. We are going to move on some more games, and we're going to move on them pretty early in the week. So stay tuned. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I also want to say, did you notice what happened to Herm Edwards? You notice Arizona State losing last night outright to Eastern Michigan? We were on that one. But those of you who missed Friday Night Lines were not on Eastern Michigan with us. So we actually had two wins that happened because of Friday Night Lines that some of you ignored. Don't ignore Friday Night Lines. A lot of these lines we wait till later in the week on purposefully so we can get some added value. Make sure you're watching on Instagram, at Late Kick Josh. I try and tell you every week, make sure you're following over there for that very reason. Okay. I've got, I got to do something I've never done before because we've never been in position to do this before. But Colin is sitting on a piece of footage in the control room right now. Uh, where It's kind of making its debut. It's making its debut on the show. So I have not told you about this yet, but I can tell you now. Our show has done better than anyone except us thought it would ever do over the first two years of its existence here. And management has taken notice. And when I say management... I mean people who work in Manhattan, you know, people who work at, in the New York offices who probably couldn't find some of the towns we go to on a map. Very high-level mustaches. But they've taken notice uh, because you have made them take notice. And so we have all of a sudden started to get knocks on our doors from some very big partners. We don't always answer because we want to do business with people who it makes sense for us to do business with. Well, one of them came to our door and it makes a lot of sense for us to do business with this one, and it was Verbo. Verbo is in the vacation rental business. Here's what they did this week. They went down to Lake Martin in very scenic East Central Alabama, an area that I've been to many times because I grew up down there. They took a ridiculous rental home on Lake Martin, six or seven bedrooms, and they said, hey, why don't we just put you guys up there for the week? Brian McFadden, BMAC, came up or came down. He lives in Atlanta. Our, our entire production crew went down there, and we just were given the house. And here's one of the trade-offs for us being given that house. We filmed a commercial for him. Roll it, Colin. There's nothing like college football. There's nothing like the experience already. And to be able to stay at this Verbo Vacation Home, 
in this area where it's so secluded, you've got lakefront access, you've got fun, and you see how big the place is and how many of your family and friends that you can fit here comfortably. It was everything that I wanted. Come on in. Oh, what's up? What's up, Josh? How you doing? I'm good, brother. How about you? Man, I'm happy to be here. Football time, football season. You know, I'm here to do a job, but also, too, I'm at my best when I'm comfortable. And in this situation, I feel like I'm at home. Look at this living room. Yes. And look at that deck. Oh, my goodness, man. We got water. I was amazed. We got enough room for family and friends to come over. Oh, my goodness, my guy. Verbo did it. Look at this. It's just so much more relaxing, so much more inviting, and it's such a reward for making it to game day. This is amazing. Yeah. Oh man, I can't wait to put on my swimming trunks. It's a beautiful area. So yeah, I think pretty good trade-off. I mean, we get a full vacation home on Lake Martin, which is gorgeous if you've never been there before. You gotta drive through some country roads to get there, but when you get to where you're going, you realize that drive's worth it. The folks at Verbo really set us up. And then we had an entire week's worth of shows down in Auburn. We have got three more of those weeks coming up. I cannot tell you when they are yet, but the weeks that those happen on, wherever we're going for the Every Given Saturday tour, we're going to be in your town. We're going to do our Thursday night late kick from your town. And it is thanks to uh, our friends there at Verbo. So they put us in a commercial. I, I Man, I can't even believe that, but they did. So I appreciate that. I appreciate our entire crew. Nick Bourne was down there. Gigi was down there. Uh, Mario shot that, a wizard. Edited and turned all that overnight. Big Game Dane was down there this week. Man, I'm forgetting people. I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. But appreciate all you guys. Uh, Gelby, Greg Gelby was there. Jesse made an appearance. And who knows who else will make an appearance. So appreciate you guys so much. Thank you for making all that possible. Remember to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And tell a friend or two about it during the week. We'll be back here Tuesday night, same time. Until then, take care and God bless. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town. And they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.